Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners and podcast listeners. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you currently stressed out, cash crunched, or fed up with your business? If you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem, or maybe that it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has become too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, and I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who comes to you saying they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a YouGurus strategy call where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your strategy call. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we are hanging out with Alex McClafferty. He coaches founders of SaaS companies and productized service companies. In 2013, he co-founded WP Curve, a 24-7 WordPress support service. And in 2016, WP Curve was acquired by GoDaddy, and he stayed on with that company uh, through the transition in 2018. Alex, welcome to the program. Hey, what's up, Brent? Thanks for having me, man. So uh, take us kind of back a moment into uh, why you started WP Curve. Like, where did that, why did that company get created in the first place? Yeah, funny story. My co-founder, Dan, actually started the company in June 2013. I joined him two weeks after it launched. Um, He was in a position where he'd sold his web agency after running it for six years. And then he had a year to like build a product. The product that he built failed. So he had two weeks uh, figuring out whether he's going to go back and get a, a day job or try and start something new. He came up with the idea for offering 24-7 live WordPress support. And I was, I, I'd dealt with WordPress before. I'd followed Dan's blog. I'd felt the pain of trying to edit a WordPress site. And uh, I actually introduced myself to him on a blog post. I commented where he's talking about the failure of his uh, software app. So I reached out to him and said, look, dude, like, I think you've got a lot of skills. Um, I think I could bring something to the table. How about we partner up for the, you know, the next three months and see if we can make a go of this business. And ultimately, you know, a lot of things fell into place to, to get it rocking and rolling. And we landed a few clients and next thing you know, we've got an actual business on our hands. So tell me a little bit about, uh, for the audience members that maybe aren't familiar with WP Curve, kind of what was the core idea? I mean, 24-7 WordPress support. I mean, I guess I, I understand that at a high level, but like, what were the nuts and bolts of what that business actually provided in terms of service? Yeah, it was more about what we didn't do than what we did do. So we didn't do any projects. We didn't do any custom work. All we peeled out was small 30-minute 
minute tasks that uh, you know our customers would need fixed. So these are things like theme and plugin updates, conflicts, you know, broken code on their sites, and it was something that we could write a bunch of processes for, um, have pretty clear you know workflows to get get around, and then deliver it really quickly. So peeled off that um, that part of I guess an agency business which was like the support and maintenance component. There are a couple of people that were doing it at the time. Uh, there was Maintain, WP Valet, uh, and maybe a handful of others, WP Sitecare. But we went in really, really heavily on the content marketing front and you know, went after the entrepreneurial crowd. And that's where we got a lot of lift and a lot of traction as far as you know, educating that audience around online marketing and building a small business. And then over time, started to build a brand and people would you know, say, oh, okay, I've got a WordPress problem. What should I do? And WP Curve would continue to pop up in forums and, you know, be recommended by people in that space. What was what was the overall business model? I assume it was some kind of subscri- subscription model. Yeah, subscription. Um, we started to move to annual towards the back of the later part of the business, but yeah, primarily subscription. And it was, you know, the price point was anywhere from like eighty bucks a month to two hundred bucks a month. We tinkered a little bit with trying to do, you know, productizing some bigger, chunky kind of efforts, which were, you know, making sites mobile responsive and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, that would blow up our workflow. So we needed a lot of throughput in the process, making sure things moved really quickly. And anything that got in the way of that, we had to say no to, which was frustrating because we'd have, you know, dozens and dozens of people asking us to build the websites each month, but it just was, was something that we couldn't pick up. So a couple of guys decided to start a company on a blog post. What was, the, what was the company makeup by the time you guys got acquired by GoDaddy? Yeah, we had a team of, I want to say around 32 people um, at the time of the acquisition. Ultimately, we took over probably like 27 or 28 of those folks. Um, so my co-founder, Dan, he had started a brewery. Um, he went on to do that. And I brought the entire development team and the team leaders across uh, with me. So it was two team leaders and the rest of those folks were a remote team from Philippines, Africa, Hungary, uh, Costa Rica, kind of all over who were, you know, talented WordPress folks that had been with us for a couple of years that we, you know, squished into the GoDaddy machine. So how was that, I guess, with, uh, you know, GoDaddy has has a reputation, uh, good and bad and everything in between, right? Um, I mean, they're a big company, right? So how, yeah. how was that getting absorbed into a much larger, I have no idea how many people work at GoDaddy, but I assume it's, yeah. it's a lot. It's a big, it's a big company. I think they've got maybe five and a half thousand employees. They've got 17 or 18 million customers, really, really different, really different kind of change of pace ultimately GoDaddy is an awesome company like the company is really good I really enjoyed my time there um, but with any kind of acquisition or integration there's always going to be you know growing pains or there's going to be um, issues GoDaddy hadn't done a lot with remote work before we joined so we were kind of breaking new ground as far as you know giving people the right level of system access and all that good stuff and then also you know we had to we had the product we had WP curve and all the processes and systems set up but because we needed to, to operate it at enterprise scale, basically needed to rebuild the entire product. So new systems, new processes, you know, new ways to capture data from customers and all of that kind of stuff because we were doing a lot more volume. So that, that was fun, um, trying to figure out how to you know, bolt on to you know, one of the biggest, or the biggest WordPress hosts in the world and say, hey, we also pro- provide support now that had its own set of challenges, but um, had a ton of support from you know, the folks around me and the team, which I'm proud to say, you know, a lot of the team is still there today. So 
did something right through that process, but there were a lot of, you know, a lot of late nights, a lot of, I think I've got some gray hairs now as well, a bit of salt and pepper going on. So <laughs> a bit of stress, a bit of stress. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I can relate. I'm wearing, I'm wearing my hat today, but usually I've got a few, few gray streaks from, from similar situations. Uh, so I guess GoDaddy was essentially acquiring your, uh, you know, your intellectual property, your process, your methodology. They mm-hmm. wanted to not necessarily go through all the growing pains that I'm sure you guys had to figure out over three years and kind of bolt you guys on. Can you give us some, and maybe you can talk about this, maybe you can't, uh, like how many WordPress updates and requests were you guys typically managing like over the course of a day, kind of pre-GoDaddy and post-GoDaddy? Like what you mentioned, like throughput, and like having to deal with a lot more at the enterprise level, like any kind of indication of scale like what does that mean yeah uh, i can't i don't think i can get into like super specific about the volume but what i can say is like we needed to figure out how to scale in a non-linear way which meant that you know in the in the wp curve days you know if we had let's say i don't know a dozen customers sign up in a day that was meaningful like that was pretty good volume and we would be doing like orders of magnitude more than that at godaddy but being asked to figure out hey how can you guys you know support you know, if we bolt on thousands of more customers in the next, you know, X period of time, how are you going to support that with the team without growing headcount too much? So that forced a lot of, I think a lot of process improvement, a lot of system improvement, and also thinking about how the product was positioned too, because the GoDaddy customers were a little bit less sophisticated as far as like WordPress expertise. So in the WP curve days, we would get these sites like, uh, you know, we supported the Buffer blog for a while. Uh, we supported big e-com sites and these were entrepreneurs that kind of had been in the business for a while and had some technical expertise. GoDaddy customers were a little bit less sophisticated. So we had to make sure that, you know, we were really, really clear as to what we were delivering. Otherwise it could create a ton of back and forth when you're speaking, you know, if you're trying to speak WordPress to a, a customer, um, you might lose them. They might get lost in translation. So a lot of that, like getting back to the throughput was really getting like very simple and very clear as to what the value prop was and making sure that we could deliver it really, really quickly. So you mentioned getting really simple and clear on the value prop. I think I understand why that would play a part into complexity in terms of service development, but can you kind of dig into that a little bit for our listeners? Like why does being super clear about your value proposition that you're bringing to the market affect your processes and what you're actually delivering? Yeah, a huge cause of customer frustration is when expectations are poorly set. So if a customer was to come to, if the customer was to purchase what is now called WP premium support and they would expect that we would do X or Y or Z and that was completely out of scope, not only would they be upset, but some customers might take to Twitter or they might you know, escalate through social media and that can be for a company like GoDaddy even though they have, there are a lot of people that are, you know, don't really like them or are upset with them. That's something that we absolutely wanted to head off at the pass. So the difference there was training like thousands of frontline reps so they understood what the product was and could really articulate it and sell it. And for us to be able to do that, we had to, everybody on the team had to know dead to rights exactly what the offering was. And you know, when you're building a new offering and you're solving a bunch of different scale problems, bringing things back to a really simple value prop helps the team kind of focus in and go, okay, we've got to go and talk to teams and teams of call centers. Is it exactly that we're providing? 
we, we were really clear on that in the WP curve days as far as in-scope and out-of-scope work, but we had to drill down even more and get even more comprehensive because the volume and the types of problems that we would get coming through would be, you know, edge cases. Say, you know, a customer had a problem with their hosting, like what was the dividing line? And because GoDaddy offers end-to-end, they offer URLs, they offer, you know, e-commerce solutions, they offer different, they've got their own website builder, um, it would be easy to get dragged into solving some of those problems. So we had to make sure those boundaries were really clearly set. How did you guys attack that when those expectations were off? Like, I assume that happened. I mean, it was just a straight up, like, we don't do that. Thanks very much. Or how did you guys internally set better expectations with your customers around that, that stuff? Uh, my, my kind of rule of thumb with this is to make the customer as happy as you can and try and solve for it as quickly as you can. So internally we had, you know, a Slack channel set up. If there were any escalations, we would have our team talking to an internal team like real time. So you know, anything that would get escalated to like the CEO would be like managed within five minutes. Like it would literally get picked up like real time. But at an individual customer level, because of the the GoDaddy model, like WordPress support is one of many products that they could, you know, that they could purchase. So my concern was more about retaining the customer overall than my individual product line. And that would mean, you know, if a customer was unhappy or they were dissatisfied or something else, then we would be very liberal in saying, hey, you know, do you want some extra, you know, extra credits on your subscription or we'd like a refund and really like opening, like kind of opening it up, which takes, takes a lot of the oxygen out of the argument. If someone's saying, hey, like, oh, I'm being ripped off or this is such a joke. It's like, cool, you know, we'll give you an extra month or we can refund you. There's no problem about that at all. And they're like, oh, okay, wow, cool. Okay, you guys, you guys can work with me on this, which is fun. Very nice. So you've talked a lot about kind of how to create processes and that was a big part of this. So maybe let's talk about kind of your smaller days at WP Curve. It's probably more relatable to probably a lot of our clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to talk about what you learn in terms of process improvement, and how you guys approach that later on at GoDaddy as well. But at, at WP Curve, kind of what was your approach to um, to creating a process and identifying that stuff and making the time for it? Like, was there a person that was in charge of all those types of processes or was it something that you guys taught across the board of helping everybody build those types of processes? Yeah, it's funny. Like what, what I learned with the, with the WP curve days is we did the, the bare minimum as far as processes went until it broke. And this is something that I kind of coach founders on today, which is super easy to get caught up in optimizing like all of this stuff in a process but if you really only need to get like data from one system to another or you need to solve a problem, it doesn't have to be super polished. So when we started out, you know, we had a Gmail inbox that would sync to Trello um, and then it, Trello would be a task, like we would create a task and then our devs would update the site and they would drop their notes into a Google Doc which was shared with the client. And that was the level of sophistication that we were working with. And then over time that graduated to, you know, we used Help Scout as the tool um, we had some prioritization that would happen uh, within within Help Scout, which was another like system layer over the top. There was some more security around passing you know passwords around, and then that graduated off into having a customer facing dashboard, a bunch of routing smarts in the back end for you know uh, passing around support tickets and everything else. But ultimately, in the WP Curve days. Um, one of the things that I like to instill in teams is making the teams the process owners. So if they see something that frustrates them as, a, as an engineer or developer, like frontline dealing with this stuff, then what we had in place was a weekly, like a weekly meeting among the team members. Um, and it was basically like a half hour bitch fest where people would come in and they'd have their issues and you know vent and let off some steam. 
And that would bring forth a lot of problems, like a lot of the issues that need to be resolved in the processes. So you kind of solve, you're solving two issues there. One is people like letting off some steam, but then the second one is they're putting that into a product, like it's going in a productive direction. So that was really useful. And then I had a, a couple of folks that were a little bit more process minded and I'd say, Hey, we need to look at this or tell me, you know, which tickets are taking the longest to resolve. Do we need to cut, you know, cut some scope out or do we need to, you know, look a little bit closer at how we're resolving it? Are we using the right systems or the right tools in place? And it was just this constant, you know, uh, I would say review and refining and improving. I like that. The uh, starting simple with those processes and, and not getting too carried away. You know, one of the things like we do is we coach agency owners on how to, you know, market and sell their their services. And sometimes people will tell us like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. Once I have all of my stuff documented and worked out, right? I'll probably start selling or marketing in like three months or whatever, right? I just need to get all these processes worked out for how I'm going to deliver all this work. And I'm always like, no, 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 no. Just get like a couple points down, right? You don't need to like get everything super ironed out. So uh, I feel like that's probably a, a good good piece of advice, I guess, to keep doing. Sounds like it worked for you guys. Dude, absolutely. I call it I call it like a shakeout. So if you're getting, it's really easy to get distracted with this stuff. And it's like really creative procrastination as well. You're like, oh, I need to have a son. I was thinking to this with my Zapier thing and all this like nonsense. And it's like, you don't actually, like if you don't have volume breaking, like coming through and breaking that process, then you don't really have a problem to solve. So instead, see how much, see how many people you can get through the process, let some stuff break. Customers will be okay if stuff breaks and you're really honest and upfront with them. And then that's how you, that's how you actually figure out what the pinch points are. Cause you can go in and like engineer it all in your head and be like, oh, I'm so smart. This is a great process, but you might not need all of that. And it's hard to have that discipline in the earlier days. Cause it feels like work. Like it really does feel like work. Yeah. I like that. The, uh, letting the volume flow until things start to break. I feel like people, a lot of times, are really scared of what's going to happen if it breaks. And then all of a sudden, like they're going to have angry customers and then they're going to like fire them. And I think we probably mostly know that that's most of the time not going to happen. There's probably going to be a difficult conversation or maybe as you mentioned earlier, like crediting some people back or having, you know, putting out some fires, but people are generally understanding, man. Like generally I've had like a handful of nightmare customers, um, over thousands and thousands and thousands. So uh, in my experience, I've mostly been pretty, pretty, uh, pretty nice. Any uh, kind of crazy experiences once you started to scale up inside of the GoDaddy machine that were like, that kind of stand out from, from your memory in terms of like, oh, there was that one situation that got a little squirrely? Yeah, yeah. I remember I was sitting down to watch Game of Thrones one night and I got an escalation in from the chief product officer. So I was like ready to chill. I was like feedback, kick back on the recliner Sunday night, watch, about to watch Game of Thrones and Slack blows up and it's the chief product officer. And I'm just going, oh, I thought I had a team in place for this to like help me not have to take these escalations. But ultimately it had that much profile that we needed to get, you know, a bunch of people on it really quick. And we learned a lot from it. There was, you know, a, those gaps that I was talking about in between the different departments and the different um, groups because of the different products. Like I had to pull together a bunch of meetings to solve for what those handovers look like and, you know, how we could avoid things going wrong and, you know, resolving this issue for the customer. And we ultimately ended up going, we probably put like, I would say maybe like 100, 100 man hours into this customer's site to, to solve for the problem. But we learned from that. So it was like 100 hours of an upfront investment 
and then downstream we solved a lot of the problems that were you know handover or uh, you know process related because we felt that pain. So that's what I talk about when things break. Like I don't like to be the guy that gets the slack ping on Sunday Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, but you know that's that's kind of what you sign up for. <laughs> so you're so the model though was like these thirty minute updates, and you're saying this one thing ended up creating a hundred hours worth of work. Mm-hmm. Was that just because the customer had a different expectation or somebody broke something or, I mean, you know. I think, I think there's a combination of things. So there was uh, the, if I, if I recall back, there was something to do with like plugins and caching and the speed of the site. And it was a pretty like highly trafficked site. Uh, the customer, you know, had been a loyal customer for GoDaddy for a lot of time. And personally, like I took a lot of pride in my team and in the product that we had. So if we were at all involved and if there was anything that we could help with, especially with like an escalation or something like that, you know, we would, I I asked a couple of my team members, I'm like, guys, this is, this is definitely out of scope. Um, but this is something (laughs) that we need to get right because this is not only like, you know, our products, but also within the, within the departments of GoDaddy, we've got to make sure that we set the right tone and don't just like hand stuff off if it gets too hard or, you know, there's an issue. So I think one of the, one of the devs ended up like rebuilding a big, big chunk of the site because something happened with an update or whatever else. And ultimately you got it back online and everything was fine. But it was one of those kind of moments of truth where you're like, Hmm, can I sweep that under the rug or like, you know, not, not take responsibility for that issue or to, you know, pull the team in and say, come on guys, let's go and fix this problem. No one, no one loved it. Everyone was really pissed off at me, but ultimately like we solved the customer's <laughs> problem and the chief product officer was happy with it. So that was, that was a good outcome. And, and I'm sure this customer probably stayed, right? Yeah. Yeah. They hung around. So it was a happy ending at the, like after the hundred hours of effort that was put in, but you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta do the hard yards. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners? Are you currently an SEO agency or an agency that offers SEO services to your clients? I have some exciting news for you today. There's a platform called SEO Monitor that is built specifically to help digital agencies provide more effective SEO campaigns for their clients, ultimately helping you guys make more money and be more profitable. SEO Monitor is the only SEO platform that is actively working for you as an agency. Their platform is laser focused on companies that are offering SEO services to their clients, providing deep insights on keywords, campaign level reporting, and also a topic explorer that's going to help you provide better keyword research for your clients. Their platform understands the dynamics of running multiple SEO campaigns and also managing multiple clients under one platform. One of my favorite tools within the SEO Monitor platform is their forecasting tool. This tool literally allows you to forecast the value of SEO services so that you can go back to your clients and help pitch them on higher value services, which is totally in alignment with everything that YouGurus teaches. SEO Monitor offers a world-class support team, so they're there when you need them, and they have top-level service-level agreements to make sure that your agency is always able to deliver to your clients. If you want to find out more about the SEO Monitor and YouGurus partnership, go to seomonitor forward slash DAS for Digital Agency Show. That's seomonitor.com forward slash DAS. On that page, there's more information about how SEO Monitor is going to help you level up your SEO game, deliver better results to your clients, and become more profitable. 
There's links out to their free Topics Explorer tool, which is pretty awesome, free for anybody to use, and I highly recommend it. They also have information about their Spark program, which is a $5,000 grant for SEO agencies or companies that are focused on SEO that have been in business for less than three years. So check that out at seomonitor.com forward slash DAS. All right, let's get back to our program. So, so talk to me about your company now. You, you're, you left GoDaddy uh, in 2018. I assume this transition was complete. And you've now gone to create a company called productize.co. Tell me what you do today. Yeah, so this, this company kind of uh, came to me in some sense. Uh, I, was, I was at GoDaddy and I had a, a, an old friend hit me up and he said, hey, can you coach me? I'm interested in you know scaling out a productized service. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of busy. But yeah, let's let's give it a go. Let's see how it goes. And we would just catch up and meet for a, a weekly call. And ultimately, like I worked with him and I think the I think it was like in six five months or six months, he took the business from nothing to like 33K a month, which is like a nice retainer business. And I had so much fun doing it that I started to put myself out there a little bit more and, you know, talk to a few different people and end up working with um, a SaaS company that got acquired for eight figures, which was really cool. And then like a handful of other productized service companies and other SaaS companies. So ultimately like my job today is I get paid to talk to founders and CEOs and entrepreneurs. I will have a weekly call with them either in a one-on-one or a group setting. And what we do is we just nut out the problems that they've got to solve. And for me, it's a ton of fun because I get to, you know, have a seat, like have a kind of passenger seat as they build their business, but I don't have all of the extra stress that goes along with that because it's it's an easy thing to jump back, like jump out of a company and then want to jump straight into your next one. But for me right now, like this is a real passion, uh, I would say a real passion project and I just enjoy getting on the phone with founders and you know helping them solve their problems. Like it's just good fun. So um, that's what I'm doing these days and it's super rewarding. It's very, I would say like, it's very, very engaging work. Every founder is different. They've got a different problem set. They've got a different customer base. They've got a different product. So it kind of helps me keep my skills sharp as well. So yeah, I love it. It's good fun. What are some of the core components when you're thinking about productizing services? I mean, I know a lot of our agency audience, they probably have a lot of services and they're either thinking about starting to kind of quote unquote productize them, or they are already kind of down that path. And maybe they, you know, are trying to optimize them or think about what else they could offer. So what are the types of things that you help people with in terms of productizing their services? I think simplicity um, is probably the the lead uh, issue that I solve for people. So as we were talking about before with like over-engineering the process, it's really easy to over-engineer the product before you actually know what it is that your customers want to pay you for. In my experience, most customers want an outcome. They don't necessarily care about how they get it as long as they get it in a reliable manner and it's, you know, the quality of work is high and it's at a reasonable price point, like they'll be satisfied. So coming at it from that angle helps me peel back the layers and say, cool, you know, you've got this particular offering and you've got this particular customer, like what do they actually care about? Not what do you care about, not, you know, what other people are doing, not what's in the market today, but like what does the customer care about and what will they pay for? And that, like getting very clear on that is super helpful. I think the other thing is, um, making, uh, being able to build processes and systems and put that stuff in a place where you can actually scale yourself out of the business is a really nice kind of way to look at it and a really nice place to get yourself to. You have to ha- you have to be thinking about that from the, I guess, the outset, because otherwise, as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to meddle and 
get your like have your finger in I don't know fingers in all the pies or uh, there's somewhat metaphor for that right but ultimately you'll get like you'll be tripping over your own shoelaces trying to you know jump in and do other people's work which is not a good thing for you or the customers or the team that you're trying to build so I help folks kind of let go of the reins and then build really good teams around them to you know build out whether it's you know a productized service or a, a SaaS company the principles are pretty consistent as well. So I like that of staying focused on the outcomes and what what do people really care about? How do you communicate to a client that you'll get them the outcome? Like if the client thinks that in order to get the outcome, they need to go down process A, but you know that they really would be better off down process B. And I can give you a quick example. I was just talking to a client a couple of days ago and we were talking about their design process right now to build out a new website. They were going to spend somewhere in the ballpark of 12 weeks to build out a custom site, but they really knew that their client only cared about getting more leads. And so they didn't want to spend three months building a custom site anymore. They wanted to get the site live within a couple of weeks, which meant that they needed to totally change how they're approaching their websites. And instead of using custom, custom design sites, they needed to go to more of a template-based approach. The client, of course, is thinking, oh, templates, uh, blah, 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 right? But it's like the outcome is we're going to help you generate leads faster. So how do you, any tips about how to communicate that better to the client to get buy-in on the front end in those types of situations? I think it's a really good line of questioning. So you can tell people and you can say, hey, you know, this is the best solution and this is what you should think about. And, you know, this is best in market or whatever else. But unless you draw people through in a line of questioning to get them to the answer themselves, and I have to do this as a coach every day because I could see it. I can see some of these problems very, very clearly. But if I just tell someone, hey, you know, you're distracted and you're not solving your sales problem right now, that will get someone's guard up and they won't listen. If I say, hey, okay, so where are you at with sales right now? Cool. Is like, what's your target? Okay. What are you doing, you know, in service of that? Okay. Is that tracking well for you? And you have to take your time and go down that line of questioning for them to get to that, you know, place where they understand, oh shit, you know, I need to address this problem rather than, you know, dance around it or not resolve it. So I would recommend like a really clear line of questioning. Um, and it's a little bit slower, but it'll get you closer to where you want to want to get to. So that's worked for me. And I have to do that every day in coaching. Any tips for how somebody could ask their client questions or how to think about asking the right questions? I mean, just, you know, instead of making statements, I mean, I can probably assume, you know, looking at your kind of question to statement ratio in those types of situations, are you just telling your client to do, or are you asking them questions? But what's your thought process in terms of pulling that out of, of somebody? Yeah, there's probably a couple things. One is to suspend, suspend judgment, like try not to think, you know, where they're coming from, because you could look at it at a high level and go, okay, they've got this business and therefore that means that they want this outcome. But I've worked with clients before where like they have enough leads, like they're getting enough leads and they're happy with their business. But they are like as entrepreneurs, we want to push more and more and get bigger and bigger and better and better. And that can get in the way of a, like having a really good relationship. So going back to like real, like I guess basics and understanding, okay, where are you at in your business? What, what, you know, what do you see this, uh, this site's going to do for you or this marketing campaign is going to bring in? What would, be, what would success look like? What would you be comfortable spending on that? Have you allocated a budget to it? How are you thinking about, you know, um, scaling this if it's successful? Like how big do you want to go? Like a lot of these, a lot of these open-ended questions will take you down a line of thought that you probably have already tried to solve in your head. So it's a little bit less about, you know, coming in with all of the answers and just going in with a, an open mind and saying, okay, 
I don't know anything. I'm going to find out exactly where they're at. And then if we come back and, you know, review something later on, you'll go and they've changed their mind. It's like, okay, cool. Fair enough. Just so we're clear we talked about this, you know, three weeks ago, your expectation was this. I want to make sure I'm clear and we're changing it to that. And so that brings both people to the same level rather than the, you know, the agency or the agency and having to scramble and I don't know, do all of the like the late nighters and drink three Red Bulls and try and stay up through the night to get something delivered, which probably happens all the time. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. I've never, never, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, nice. So I think that's, I think that's really good. So in terms of, in terms of how to frame that and get towards the outcome and kind of help, help your client focus back on the outcome and not be so wound up in, I need to have this custom bespoke thing. Cause that's always the challenge is like, you can probably get a better level of service on a productized level because it's something that somebody's done a lot. It's probably more, you know, you're going to get better, probably going to get better results at some level. They're going to be more practiced at it. They're going to have figured out kind of their steps. They'll uh, it'll, it'll probably get delivered more on time. Uh, all those things are, there's real benefits to that. And then the, you know, but the trade-off is obviously, personalization and customization at some some different levels. So I know some people just feel like they don't want to give that up, even if it's not getting them results. The other thing is being able to show proof and like share experiences and stories, not being too directive, but saying, hey, you know, we've worked with a similar customer. They were, you know, here and we got them to there. And therefore, you know, this might be something for you to consider. And it's not like down their throat it's just saying this is an option or something that you could you could look at because of you know been in this space before and it's a little bit more gentle but it will get you more mileage because if they come in with some expectations you come in with some expectations and you just start butting heads like no one's going to end up happy because they're going to feel like you're not listening and you're going to feel like they don't know what they want and that's frustrating for everyone so we've talked a little bit about uh, on the productized service front making sure that you've got a clear value prop that it's in alignment with what you're actually delivering uh about keeping it simple. For starters, I feel like I've many times created products where I, you know, I just make things too complex. So I definitely can uh, relate with that one and staying focused on the customers want outcomes. And so staying focused on the outcomes. And if your client seems like they're asking for things that are not benefiting the outcomes, using those open-ended questions and kind of uh, pulling it out of them, not just telling them what they should want, but actually helping to guide them to get there. Is there anything else that our audience should be thinking about in terms of productizing services? Any, any other kind of tips or tricks or approaches that you found successful? I could talk about this all day, but I'll give you maybe a couple more. One thing that I see all the time is that when someone wants to productize a service, they get carried away with how they package it. And they say, they'll say like, okay, on this tier, you'll get X hours of support or you'll get you know quantity of this or quantity of that. And a lot of the time, customers do not care about that. They don't care how many hours they get. They're more interested in, like, will, the, will my problem be solved quickly? And people will pay a premium for that if it's, a, like, an urgent problem that they need to have solved. So there's this, at least in the productized kind of movement or the, the, the shift across to this, it's a lot more about the result that's delivered um, rather than, you know, like what, what makes up the result. So for example, when you order an Uber, you don't go, holy crap, like there's like thousands and thousands of cars to choose from. And therefore, you know, I'll scroll through this list and pick the one that I like. You want to get from point A to point B and you want to do it in the quickest way possible. It's consistent with a lot of other products and services that are out there today. But, you know, they're not telling you, oh, we've got this huge fleet of cars and like, look how cool this is or look how much there is behind it. It's like, we just get the job done. 
So I see that happen quite a bit. Um, and then the other thing is people just undercharge, like they undercharge like crazy. We undercharge like crazy with WP Curve. We could have commanded, you know, probably 500 bucks a month for the value that we were creating and offering to our customers. But because we wanted to get in um, and build a brand and have a volume play and serve a particular type of audience, uh, we went at the lower end of the price point. But I've seen, I've worked with a couple people now. They come in and they go, I want to do WP Curve for this, for live chat or for lead generation or for something else. It's like, cool, like we can work on the model, but when it comes to the pricing and positioning, you can charge 10x, 15x, 20x what you're thinking if you, have, if you package your product in such a way where it talks to the benefits of the business owner, how much revenue it's going to create for them, how much growth it will bring, or you know, how many sales it will bring in the door. So this is like a little bit nuanced, but I think you get carried away with like, okay, because it's time and materials on my side and my, you know, base or my cost base is this, therefore I should add a 20% margin to it or a 50% margin to it and I'm done. And that's a backwards way of thinking because customers will pay 5, 10, 20x the, the same amount. Very cool. I love those extra tips. I'm glad we kept pushing a little bit because I feel like those are those are definitely really, really important. So thinking about that in terms of the clients don't care necessarily about hours, they want the problem solved quickly. And then uh, and also to focus your pricing on the value and not not necessarily cost basis. This has been super valuable. Are you ready for our lightning round, Alex? I hope so, man. I hope so. <laughs> this is where it gets real. This is where it gets real. All right. Uh, all right. What uh, What's the best advice you've ever received? As far on a business front, I would say a question that I got from a private equity investor, and he said, "Are you building cash flow or are you building an asset?" That question hit me for six. Cash flow or asset? What was your answer? I sat there like an idiot, and then I went home and did a bunch of homework and started building an asset because you can have both. That was the that was the hook to the question. But if you just like got cash coming through and then you get sick or something falls over and you've got no asset value, then you don't really have a business. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Uh, I would say drive, or like that, maybe that's a trait, personal habit. I can habits, but I'll give you a trait, which is drive. I'm a very driven person. So that helps with getting shit done. <laughs> or maybe, maybe your, your, your habit is just getting, getting stuff done. Right. So that's, that's a, a good way to, to pull execute. That. Is execution a habit? Uh, if execution is a habit, then I'm, I can execute. Maybe there's something there of what you do to execute. If there's like a, a, a trick or a habit that you use to kind of get in that mode of just executing and not really questioning yourself. Yeah, I, I just put stuff in a list and I don't leave my desk until I've done it. So I'll be looking outside or I'll be wandering off or jump on Facebook. But if I make a list for the day, the night before, and I don't get it done, like I'm not leaving the desk. So you make the list the night before and or day of and you don't leave before you get it done. So that's a, that's a, that's a good, I think we got there, Alex. That's some discipline. Uh, yeah. Can we, uh, can you share an internet tool or resource or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? I think Airbnb. Airbnb is like my favorite tool, but the trick is if you want to have a good Airbnb experience, always filter by Superhost. That's the simplest thing. It seems really obvious and stupid, but I've never had a bad experience on Airbnb using Superhost. All right. Very good. If you're traveling a lot out there, it's probably a good recommendation. What book would you recommend and why? So the book I think that got me into entrepreneurship was The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And when I read that, I was like, this is not possible. Like this, this lifestyle is not possible. But then I wanted to try and prove that it was and ultimately got there in the end. And the principles of that are really, really sound. 
if you apply them. Like you got to do the work and you will work thousands of hours to get to the four hour work week, but it is a, it is possible. Very cool. Well, we, I, I, I've read that book. I don't know if it's been recommended yet on the show. So that'll be a first one for us to include in our show notes. You can check those out at yougurus.com. That's U-G-U-R-U-S.com forward slash podcast. Click on Alex's episode. You'll get a rich recap of today's show. Takeaways, links out to resources that Alex mentioned during the show uh, and also here during the lightning round uh, and also uh, lots of other great kind of recap and takeaways. Alex, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, they can go across to my site, which is productize.co or if they have any problems or they're having some kind of headache or issue in their agency uh, or with their business, they can email me at alex at productize.co. I love talking to entrepreneurs. If you have an issue, there's something that's keeping you up at night, hit me up. I'm more than happy to help. Very cool. Well, Alex, thank you for stopping by the program today. This has been super informative. We really appreciate your time today. Hey, thanks, Brent. Really appreciate it. All right. That is our program for today. You guys can check out recap of today's episode, as I said before, at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. We'll link out to all the stuff that Alex referenced, as well as link out to Alex's website, productize.co. So check that out at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. And again, that is our show for today. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming at you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now, it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge is blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show.